Good morning. You'll see our scripture text printed in your bulletin. We're going to be looking at John, uh, the Gospel of John, chapter 13. Jim and Mark are right. Our culture has in many ways kind of uh, robbed us of Jesus. Uh, Jesus, for many people, has become uh, this kind of a domesticated, one-dimensional, safe, sanitized, spiritual teacher who will give you all the answers to life's riddles and button up all the mysteries. For a lot of folks, Jesus is uh, kind of like the moral police, you know, the, uh, the ultimate person who's going to tell you not to pull your sister's ponytail and whatever that represents in life. You know, Jesus, in many ways, has been kind of reduced and distilled for us and made safe and, and domesticated. But we're going to look this morning at uh, a little vignette of Jesus as the one who does not always play by the rules. And while that might disturb a lot of folks, you're going to find out that it's really good news that he doesn't. When I was a kid, my dad taught me how to swim, or at least he tried to teach me how to swim. And that was, uh, like many of the most important things that we learn in life, we learn them in very unusual ways. Because I remember when my dad tried to teach me to swim, he, he tried to convince me that if I was going to float, I had to relax in the water. That made no sense to me at all. Because every instinct in me told me that if I relaxed in the water, I would drown. It took a long time for me to figure out that I could only float and swim by relaxing in the water. Now, that's just one rather silly example of the fact that in many ways in our lives, some of the most important things we learn, we learn in very unusual and very unexpected ways. We're going to see a little bit of how Jesus does that this morning. Uh, we actually see a pattern of how Jesus taught that way all through the Gospels. We find him using parables, talking to people in these sort of enigmas, these parables where he would, he would never really directly answer a question, or he would, he would give the most odd kind of answer to the question that he was given. And, and he often left people sort of mystified at what he said. Now, in our culture, you know, we love people to be straightforward. If they have something to say, then, hey, pal, just put it on the table. Tell me what you mean, right? But Jesus had a habit of not talking that way. He loved to to catch people off guard. And the funny thing is that the kind of Jesus that our culture gives us, this domesticated, one-dimensional, safe Jesus, may seem like a manageable Jesus, may seem like a Jesus that, that gives us all the warm and fuzzy spiritual experiences we need. And yet that kind of Jesus who just buttons everything up nicely, who plays by the rule, that kind of Jesus never really gets to the core of our lives never really does anything significant at our core. And Jesus is always trying to shake us up. He's always trying to get down to the core of things, do business with, with us where that really, really matters. Uh, leading up to our text this morning in John chapter 13, we see Jesus behaving this way. We, uh, we see him beginning to talk in some strange ways about his own death. And, and that took his disciples back because they're thinking, you're the Messiah. The Messiah is supposed to take over. The Messiah is supposed to deliver us, not die. And yet he begins to talk about his own death. And in John chapter 12, we, we see a, a woman breaking a, a bottle of perfume that was worth uh, an enormous amount of money, just anointing him. And, of course, the, uh, uh, 
uh, one of the disciples who, uh, uh, who seemed to have a, a great heart for the poor said, this shouldn't be. And he said, leave her alone. She's done this in preparation for my burial. And then he starts to talk about how a kernel of wheat can only bring forth more seed if it goes into the ground and dies. And then he tells them that you'll only save your life if you lose your life. And if you try to, uh, try to save your life, then you will lose your life. All these paradoxes. Then we get to John chapter 13. I'd like you to read this. Now, just follow along as I read it, if you would. You'll find it in your bulletin. John chapter 13 says, It was just before the Passover festival, and Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. And after that, he poured water into a basin, and he began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. And he came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus replied, You do not realize what I'm doing, but later you will understand. No, Peter said, You'll never wash my feet. And Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Well, then, Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. And Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. And you, or you all, are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not every one was clean. And when he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you, he asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. And now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, servants are not greater than their master, nor are messengers greater than the one who sent them. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Now, this text refers to a practice that uh, seems rather strange to us, perhaps. It was a cultural practice very common in the first century when most people wore sandals and, and typically got their feet very dirty. When they would come into a house, it was common hospitality to have a servant wash people's feet. But this was a task that was only, only for the most menial of people in that social system. This is a task that would never ever have been done by any self-respecting Jewish man. And so when there was no, uh, no one there to wash the disciples' feet after they had come in from a, a day on the dusty roads and uh, preparing to eat their meal, Jesus, to the shock and surprise of all of his disciples, took off his, uh, his outer garment, his robe, and he wrapped this towel around his waist. And we may not know the significance of that, but that was a servant's garb. And we can only imagine that the disciples looking around were not only socially scandalized, but they were embarrassed. This would be just a, a little bit like go, you know, our, our president going to a, a formal state dinner. And, uh, you know, someone spills something on the floor and he takes off his shirt and he's down to his t-shirt and he wipes it up off the floor and we're thinking, what in the world is wrong with you? 
See, this washing of the disciples' feet, you, some of you may have seen uh, a common picture of religious art that shows Jesus like this, uh, you know, down on one knee washing disciples' feet. And, and even that imagery has become uh, kind of domesticated for us over the years. And we think, oh, how, how nice. <laughs> how nice. But what we don't realize is that for those disciples sitting around this table, they were embarrassed and shocked beyond belief that their master would dare to stoop to that level when they themselves, of course, would not do that. And so in, in this conversation with Peter, we find perhaps something of ourselves going on where he, uh, he, he comes to Peter and Peter says to him, you are going to wash my feet? What, you know, we, we can kind of read between the lines. What, what, are you, what are you thinking? What are you doing? You are going to wash my feet? And Jesus says to him, you don't now understand what I'm doing for you. In other words, it's not about the feet. Some of you might have seen this little YouTube clip that's going around called It's Not About the Nail. Has anybody seen that? Well, you need to if you haven't. <laughs> yeah, It's not about the feet. You don't now understand what I'm doing for you, Peter. But, but this is an act, we, we call that foreshadowing. If you know anything about the... Uh, the theatrical world or stories, there's often a practice in good stories called foreshadowing where some little, uh, little word or some little act is said that, that has enormous meaning for something later on in the story, though you don't know it until you read the rest of the story. If you've ever seen The Wizard of Oz, you'll remember that the character Zeke, who on the farm, uh, Zeke was on the farm, and yet later in Oz, Zeke is, anybody know who Zeke was? Remember? He was the cowardly lion. Well, early in the story, Zeke, who turns out to be the cowardly lion, he says to Dorothy on the farm, Dorothy, do not be afraid. A little word of foreshadowing. We don't know at the time what that means, but we find out the significance of it later on. And so in this conversation with Peter, Peter, you don't yet know what I'm doing, but you will understand. See, Jesus is pointing ahead to what he knows is about to happen on the cross. He's about to give his life. The disciples don't yet fully understand that. They still think, this is Messiah. This is the one who's going to run these Romans out of our country. This is the one who's going to deliver us. This is the one who's going to set us free. This is the one who's going to make things right and level the playing field. He keeps telling them, folks, I'm going to die. And they don't get that yet. They don't get the significance of that. But what what he's telling them over and over, and even through this act of serving them, is that, Only through my death, only through my death can your deepest needs be met. In other words, your fundamental problem is not the Roman occupation of Israel at the time. Your fundamental problem is not political. Your fundamental problem is not social. Your fundamental problem is not circumstantial. Your fundamental problem is your relationship with God. And only as Jesus takes the weight of, of all the brokenness and the evil of the world and in each of our worlds, only as he takes that on himself and does business with that, are we set free in the truest sense of the word. But Peter doesn't get that yet. So they have this little banter. Uh, You're going to wash my feet? No, Peter, you don't get it yet. Peter, not going to happen. Jesus, if it doesn't, you'll have no part with me. Peter, okay, well then, not just my feet, but wash my hands, wash my head as well. Jesus is teaching all the way through. He says, no, Peter, you know what? 
you're already clean, but you do need your feet washed. In other words, you do need me to serve you in this way. Now, Jesus, at the end of this uh, little interchange and at the end of washing the disciples' feet, he, he puts his robe back on, he puts the towel away, and then he tells the disciples what has really happened. Or at least he points them in the direction. And here's what he does. He says, folks, this is, uh, this is how you, uh, you are to be with each other. What I've done for you, you may not fully get it now, but I've, in a sense, like put an earthquake here, and you're going to feel the ripple effects forever. My youngest sister uh, lives in southern Chile in the city of Tumuco. And a year or two ago, when they had that devastating earthquake around Concepcion, Chile, uh, they felt the effects of that in her town of Tumuco, 150 miles away, even weeks afterward. They were still feeling the ripple effects, the cascading shock of that earthquake. And this, this little odd, strange, socially offensive act that Jesus has done is like an earthquake that he has, uh, that he has put into effect for each of us all throughout the centuries. It may, seem, it may seem odd. It seemed odd at the time. It was embarrassing to them. He, he broke social protocol. He did that which no self-respecting Jewish man would do. And he humbled himself and he says, what I've done for you, this is, what you, this is how you are to be with each other. Because your humble service, he says, echoes the life-giving gospel that I'm about to put into place on the cross. Now, folks, that leaves us with a couple of... Uh, Pretty simple, but very deep level challenges. And one has to do with this, uh, this act that Jesus was pointing toward. This act of ultimate service through his own death. Uh, that, that was Where he was going to bear the weight of the evil and the brokenness of the world. And the evil and the brokenness that, that resides in, in each of our own hearts. Evil and brokenness and, and confusion that we cannot untangle and we cannot reconcile ourselves god alone can do that for us he points forward to that he points forward to that act as an act of service on his behalf and then he says this gospel this good news is is what you're to live out this is like a script that you're going to live out over and over with each other this is what i'm going to do for you now that brings us back to, to two basic questions that, uh, that this act of a kind of culturally bound service, washing someone's feet, says to us, we may or may not be doing that kind of thing these days, you know, literally washing each other's feet. I look at my friend Jim Howard and sandals his wear, and I'm thinking, gosh, I'm glad that was just for that culture. Uh, I don't want to touch those gnarly things. Uh, but Jesus says, this is what you are to do for each other. This is how you're to be with each other. Now, this, this changes entirely our understanding of what it means to be a servant. Uh, Jesus places humble acts of service in the context of that life-giving act of what we call gospel. His death on the cross for, uh, for sin. He places our acts of humble service in the context, in the light of that. And that changes what it means to be a servant. Entirely, uh, you know, servanthood is uh, you know, pretty popular these days. Uh, we love it and we celebrate it when we get fine service at a restaurant. When somebody, uh, when some vendor goes above and beyond our expectations to really serve us well, we love that. Uh, 
You know, it's, it's great to be a servant when the cameras are rolling or when we know that we're going to kind of gain a reputation with others as a person who's really a servant. There are lots of ways of being a servant that ultimately end up being kind of self-serving, don't they? I mean, we all know what they are. And yet, uh, service, humble service to each other, when it's placed in the light of the gospel, is never just about social protocol. It's never just about evening the social balances. It's never just about... Uh, hospitality and reciprocity. It's never just about being a nice person. But those humble acts of service of all kinds that we undertake for each other are a living out of the script of the gospel. And that, that gives a brand new dignity and a brand new character to the acts of sacrifice and service that we make for each other. Now, we can all think of, of all kinds of acts of service that we can do, that we could do, that we should have done, that we would like to do. And yet, what does service really do when it, what does a humble act of service really do when it takes place in the light of Christ's act of service that give us life through his death? What is, what is, what character does that give to our acts of service? It makes them acts of life giving. It means that when, uh, when you take the time to simply engage a stranger and look them in the eye and call them by name, you bring out something of their humanity. It means that when we, when we take the time and make the effort to, to put our own agenda to the side and let someone else's agenda be honored, we create space for them to be flourishing for them to experience the love and the grace of God. You see, acts of service, when they take place in the light of the gospel, are never just nice acts of social politeness. But they're, they're jam-packed full of gospel meaning. This word gospel, uh, a lot of you know, it, it simply means good news or, or a good message. And part of this good message is this word that we Christians love to throw around a lot, the word grace. Uh, the, our, our English word grace comes from a, uh, the, the Latin word gratis. You know what gratis means? Free, good, benevolent. It's where we get our word gratuity or gratuitous, something that is just undeserved and unexpected and absolutely free. It's gratis. It's a gratuity. And that's the kind, that grace, that graceful character is the character of our acts of service that we're to have in the light of the gospel. See, when you and I move into each other's lives to serve them in some way, to, to sacrifice, to pave a smoother path for somebody else in life, to help them in some way, to honor them in some way, we don't just become more polite people. We're echoing the reverberations of God's grace. God's gratuitous, benevolent, kind love toward us that gives us our lives back. That's, uh, that's part of the scandalous message of John chapter 13. Some of the most important things we learn, we learn in the most unusual ways. That Jesus never told his disciples, you should be more nice people. You should be kind to each other. That's the Jesus we're often, we're often given in our culture, isn't Jesus as the moral police. The, you be nice to people, Jesus. 
Now, Jesus teaches us the most important things in the strangest ways. Breaks the rules of social protocol. Gets down and for something that was so bizarre in his culture, he washed his disciples' feet. And he tells them, you don't know now what this means. You will soon. And when you get it, this is how you're to be with each other. That means that every one of us is really called to be a servant, doesn't it? Maybe we know that. Maybe that's pretty familiar language. When we put our servanthood in the, in the light of the gospel, the light of Christ's sacrifice to deal with that deepest level brokenness and evil in our world and in our own hearts, wow, everything we do that, that touches the life and that blesses or that encourages and strengthens the life of another person is an echo of the gospel. It's a ripple effect of that earthquake that was set in motion 2,000 years ago that changed our lives. Uh, That does not make it necessarily any easier for me to do things for people that I really don't want to do. That doesn't take away all of the resistance that my ego has when it's inconvenient for me to serve someone else. That doesn't take away... uh, the cost that I sometimes have to experience to genuinely serve another person in a way that they need it. But it does place it in a context that this is way bigger than just being a polite, hospitable person. And I would say to each of us this morning, if, uh, if you're here with Dillon Community Church or uh, from some other church, your church is, I hope, a place where you talk about the gospel. You talk about what Jesus did to save us, to forgive us, to reconcile us, to set us free. I hope you talk about that. But John chapter 13 and Jesus' command that what I've done for you, you are to do for each other, means that that gospel message is more than something we talk about. It's something we live out with each other. Something we practice. It's the script that guides the play that we're in with each other in our communities of faith. Now, some of you here this morning, uh, you may have heard some of this before, this gospel thing, but this may be a kind of a strange connection for you. And if it is, we'd love to talk to you about that, just if you're, uh, you're interested in exploring that further. What's this connection between gospel and Jesus' death and what it means to serve each other? We'd love to chat with you further about that if you're interested. But the call of Jesus our Lord is this, what I've done for you how I've served you, how I've put myself aside so that you can have life. You get to do that. You get to have a little part in playing that out with each other. The little acts of service that you might think are benign, insignificant, trivial, daily, ordinary, they're jam-packed with theological significance. You're living out the gospel. Let's pray together. Our Father, we're stunned sometimes when we look at all that you've done for us through Jesus. And when we know some of these stories well, we confess that we often take that for granted. They become very very familiar and very safe to us. We pray that by your Spirit, you would, you would help us to see what's really going on in Jesus' life and his death and his resurrection. Help us to see the the depth and the truth about our need for that. 
Help us to come to grips with that, to own our need. Father, we look to Jesus for, for all that we truly need, for forgiveness, for healing, for hope, for restoration, for reconciliation. And Lord, we want to be part of that for each other. We pray that you would help us, uh, help us have the vision for what it means to share and to give our lives so that the life you've given us can echo into the lives of other people. We pray this in his name. Amen.